0: The following audio is from Downtown Church, a multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, visit downtownchurch.com.
1: Turn to 2 Timothy 2, 1-13. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. Entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Remember, Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy for, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. For, deny us, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. This is the word of the Lord.
0: What we just heard was the very Word of God. Amen? Amen. It all began in Albany, Georgia. Uh, He was born in 1930 to Bailey and Aretha. And uh, his story is that he he wasn't uh, shy with hard work as his mother was born a sharecropper. Uh, here he is, a young boy uh, who would be intrigued at three years old with uh, this Mr. Wiley Pittman's Red Wing Cafe. He was intrigued with this cafe and, and he would find his way on the inside of Mr. Wiley Pittman's Red Wing Cafe and he'd watch Mr. Wiley Pittman as he played uh, the stand-up piano. Uh, here he is in the Red Wing Cafe watching Mr. Wiley Pittman strum away on the piano like crazy. Uh, Mr. Wiley Pittman was a huge benefit to this young boy's family. There was a time, the story goes, that, the, that they would lose their home. And he would literally take in this young boy, his younger brother and his mother, just to help them out. And so he spent a significant amount of time in this neighborhood juke joint watching Mr. Wiley Pittman strum away on the piano. And at five years old, it was a blessing to him that Mr. Wiley Pittman would beckon him over to sit next to him on this old dusty piano bench. And he would get the privilege of watching Mr. Wiley Pittman up close. And I can imagine Mr. Wiley Pittman even taking his little hands and putting them on the right chords to produce the right sound to to play the right music. Uh, It's so crazy to me that this boy went through a huge amount of struggle. At five years old, he saw his uh, younger brother drown. Uh, At seven years old, he went blind. And at 15 years old, he lost his mother, essentially becoming an orphan. We know him as Ray Charles. Ray Charles was literally one of the most prolific musicians of all time. He would watch Mr. Wiley Pittman strum away on this old dusty piano hours upon hours. He would sneak in this old neighborhood juke joint to peek at Mr. Wiley Pittman in the peak hours watching him strum away on this little piano. And when he had the opportunity, he'd jump up on that bench. And Mr. Wiley Pittman would play a chord and, and then he'd play a chord and Mr. Wiley Pittman would play another chord and Ray Charles would play another chord. And there were times where Mr. Wiley Pittman would take Ray Charles's hand and put it on the piano and he'd guide him and he'd lead him. Ray Charles had tons of hits. He received tons of rewards and awards. And what you'd have to say, the wise person would have to think back to those early years as a little boy. And they have to think back to those times where Mr. Wiley Pittman welcomed him on the dusty piano bench in the dusty red wing cafe in Albany, Georgia. The wise person would have to think back to those times where Mr. Wiley Pittman would guide his little fingers, putting them on the right chords to produce the right sound. The wise person would, would look at all the awards and the wise person would look at all of, of the hit songs and they'd have to think back to Mr. Wiley Pittman. He discipled him in music. Mr. Wiley Pittman gave him time. He poured his life into him that, that Ray Charles would become one of the most prolific musicians of all time. He he let him interrupt his day. He gave up his wisdom. All the the musicianship that had been poured into Mr. Wiley Pittman, he then will, would give down to little old Ray Charles there in Albany, Georgia. He discipled him. He he poured into him. And when we look at our text this morning, that's the exact relationship we see between Paul and Timothy. And you and I will see an intimate relationship in which Paul is taking all that has been poured into him and he's giving it away to young Timothy. A young boy who some would probably say didn't deserve Paul's time. He is allowing for his time to be interrupted, and, and he's pouring all that has been poured into him, into Timothy. This morning we're going to see how Paul used his life to multiply himself into others. We'll see three main ideas this morning. We'll see that multiplication takes loving. We'll see that multiplication takes teaching. And we'll see that multiplication takes working. But before we jump in, let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that your word is a light unto our path and a lamp unto our feet. We thank you, Father, that you did not leave us to our own devices. but, But, Father, you've given us the Holy Spirit to comfort us and to teach us and to convict us of sin and to... To, to sustain us, and we thank you for the sweet Holy Spirit. Father, we pray that you would speak to us, that, that you would, that you would challenge us with your word this morning. Father, that we may align our lives with what you would have to say to us this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would move me out of the way, that we would hear from you. Father, that this word would change us, that it would change our church, that it would change our city. Because of discipleship. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The last number of weeks we've been making our way through this discipleship series that we've called Poured In and Poured Out. And what we've began to do, we started in the beginning of the series talking about the disciple. And what we said is we cannot rush to methodology. We can't rush to talking about discipleship before we explain what a disciple is. We said that a disciple is a learner, that a disciple is a follower of Jesus Christ, that a disciple doesn't mind attaching themselves to the truths of, of Jesus. But then we began to talk about discipleship, and, and what we looked at a couple of weeks ago uh, was the Great Commission. And we saw Jesus declare himself to be the only one that had the authority to command us to go make disciples. And Jesus did just that. In Matthew 28, he commanded us that we may go and make disciples of all nations. And we saw that Jesus said, you know what? You are not going to be left alone, but I'm going to be with you always. I'm going to be with you through the hard times. I'm going to be with you through thick and thin. And last week what we saw is how God saves we have to begin someplace, and we have to embrace the truth of, of God. And, and once we embrace the truth of God, you and I are are uh, we're, we're required to give that same wisdom, to give that same good news away to others. And we saw that God compels us to take something that we are convinced of, and to give it away to others. And we're going to continue talking about discipleship this week. We have the opportunity to peek into this incredibly unique relationship. See, from a dungeon-like prison, Paul pens this letter to a young man in Timothy who Paul spent a great deal of time with. See, Jesus makes a command in Matthew 28. He says, make disciples of all nations. And through the story of the Bible, God strategically places illustrations or examples profiles, case studies of what it might look like to make disciples. And when we come to Paul and Timothy's relationship this morning, that's exactly what we see. We see a case study of a guy who was serious about making disciples, of a guy who wanted to be obedient to the command that Jesus gave to make disciples. One of the primary things we've got to see this morning, we've got to see that multiplication takes loving. Listen to the way Paul begins his first letter to Timothy. Paul says this, to Timothy, my true child in the faith. In the first chapter of Paul's second letter to Timothy, he says this, I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Paul says, I long to see you. Then notice the way Paul begins our passage this morning. He says, you then my child. Don't miss that. Over and over again, Paul uses what we would call these terms of endearment. Paul views Timothy as uh, like his son. He calls him his child. He says, I long to see you, Timothy. I I, I, I dare, I I would go see you. I'm, I'm looking for, I'm praying for you night and day. I love you. You're my child. You're my son. Paul loves Timothy. He has a deep affection for Timothy. Why? Because they spent a great deal of time together. But one of the things that you and I have to see is that we cannot make disciples from a place that is not in a place of love. In order for us to effectively make disciples, we have to have an affection and a love for the people that we're pouring into. There cannot be these pretentious like relationships, uh, these top down like relationships in which I'm looking down upon you. But Paul says, you're my child. Imagine how we treat our children. Imagine how we love our children. Imagine how we have our children's backs, how we protect them. Paul says, you're my son, you're my child. And this is somebody who he is pouring his life into from a place of love, not a place of pretentiousness. Paul loves Timothy. He cares for Timothy. He has deep affections for Timothy. And this is the fertile ground for discipleship. You and I cannot make disciples genuinely if it is not from a place of love. Paul cares for Timothy. He, he loves him. He adores him. He views him as his own child. I remember um, uh, just uh, some years ago, a number of years ago. Uh, I, I've got a mentor, I've got a guy who's poured into my life and for a, a number of years. And uh, I had uh, this deadline, and he would give me assignments little by little, and I'd be responsible for bringing the assignments back. And, and I remember when we first started getting together, um, one of the first things he he assigned to me, he said, all right, take this passage of Scripture, and I want you to bring me back 150 observations from this passage of Scripture. Just take this and you just read it. I don't want you to use a commentary. I don't want you to use anything else. Just take a pen and a notepad and bring me back 150 observations from this passage. And, y'all, after about 10 minutes, I had about five things down and I was done, you know. Uh, But he would give me these assignments over and over again. And there was this one important assignment uh, that I missed the deadline on. And... um, he sent me this long email and he just laid into me he just laid. he he just told me just look uh, this makes no sense this is ridiculous i'm giving time i'm i'm giving my energy and i need you to give it back and he's just laying in for the entire emails probably like two pages and at the very end he says son i'm trying to teach you something I says son i'm i'm pointing you in a certain direction. And, and, and I, I recognize that even his correction, I recognize that even his rebuke came from a place of love. It came from a place of affection. That this wasn't somebody who was just cracking the whip on me. This was somebody who cared for me and wanted me to do well. This is the fertile ground of discipleship. Discipleship has to come from a place of love. And if we learn anything from Paul's relationship with Timothy, we will learn that Paul loved Timothy. He had deep affection for him. What about us? Do we make disciples to post something on social media? Do we make disciples so we can tell our friends about it at the dinner table? Paul says the fertile ground for discipleship is the place of love and care. Secondly, we need to see that multiplication takes teaching. Look at verse 2 with me. Paul tells Timothy, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will teach others also. Paul says, Timothy, all that I have passed on to you, it is to not stop with you. You are to pass it on to others. And you are not just to pass it on to others, but get this. You are to pass it on to others who will also pass it on. Paul says, I am teaching you these things on purpose. It is so you might pass these things on to people who who will be faithful, who will be responsible to pass these things on to others. Here's what Paul is telling Timothy. Your job is to not just go teach somebody else how to grow and walk with Jesus. But your job is to teach somebody else how to grow and walk with Jesus who will teach somebody else how to grow and walk with Jesus who will teach somebody else how to grow and walk with Jesus. I love what Paul is doing. He's saying, I am entrusting these things to you. I'm challenging you to go entrust these things to others. It's inherent in that message. What Paul is saying is, the message that I'm giving you is of great value. The message that I'm giving you is an investment, it's an impartation into you, and I want to get a return later. I'm investing into you, I'm investing the truth of, of God into you, I'm investing the truth of Jesus into you. And and what I want for, for, for in return is for you to give it away to somebody else who will give it away to somebody else. See, discipleship is not just hanging out. This is the message that Paul is showing us. That discipleship is more than just hanging out. We ought to be teaching something. You ought to be learning something. You ought to be learning the truth of God. And that's the exact thing that Paul would give to Timothy. And he would challenge him to give it away to others who were faithful. Who were responsible to give it away to somebody else says, I'm passing this on to you, and it has incredible value. Uh, the question becomes, what should I teach? What should I teach? If Paul is asking me to teach something, what should I teach? Paul helps us in verse 8. Look at this with me. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David. Paul says, if you teach nothing else, teach the gospel of Jesus. Remember Jesus Christ and remember the resurrected Christ. Paul says, if you teach nothing else, you ought to be teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. He gives the purpose in verse 10. Paul says, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. That they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. He says, what I'm giving you is for a purpose that people, that the world may know uh, of the salvation of the Lord, that there is one who has come to rescue them. That there is an answer to their brokenness and their emptiness. That there is an answer to weariness. And you and I are armed with that same message. Paul would challenge us this morning to go out and make disciples to and trust to mankind. To entrust to faithful women, to entrust to faithful men, who will entrust to others, who will entrust to others, and who will entrust to others. In order to make disciples, we need to be able to answer these questions. And, and uh, I, didn't, I didn't put this on the screen, but I want you to, to write this down. We need to be able to answer these questions. We need to be able to answer, who is God? What is sin and the fall of man? Who is Jesus? How is humanity saved? What is the role of the Holy Spirit? And what is the church? And and that's not a comprehensive list, but if we are to effectively make disciples, and there's a lot of things in each of those questions, but I want to give it to you again. We need to be able to answer these questions. Who is God? What is sin and the fall of man? What is Who is Jesus? How is humanity saved? What is the role of the Holy Spirit? And what is the church? I'm going to give you two resources, um, one of which I've used a, a, strong, a serious amount, Systematic Theology by Wayne Grudem. It's a simple uh, resource. It's, it's the kind of resource that you keep on the desk, and when you have questions, you pull it out. When you want to learn a chunk about something, you pull it out. It's easy to read through. It's Systematic Theology by a guy named Wayne Grudem. But there's also a book called The Essential Truths of the Christian Faith by R.C. Sproul. The Essential Truths of the Christian Faith by R.C. Sproul. And this book literally has a hundred lessons on the essential truths of the Christian faith. And all of us need to know what do we believe and why do we believe it. Uh, In order to multiply ourselves into others, we've got to teach others. We've got to impart some things. We've got to pass on some things. And we've got to expect the, the people who we are passing those things on to, to pass them on to others. You know, I remember uh, when my brother was teaching me how to ride a bike. It's so crazy. We, we had this old school red bike with this long banana seat. That was like our family's bike. Uh, this thing was put together like crazy. Uh, we had worked on it and worked on it and worked on it to get it going. Uh, it, had, it was all red. It had a banana seat. It had uh, a blue tire on the front and a black tire on the back. It was just put together crazy. But my brother was teaching me. He would teach me how to ride a bike. You know, I grew up in a house with three sisters and a brother, and everybody was older. So obviously everybody was riding a bike before me. And at a young age, I'm like, I want to ride. I just, I want to get on that thing. I want to ride. When is it going to be my turn? And all of a sudden, my brother just said, you know what? I'll teach you. I'll teach you. And he got on the bike, and he rode down the block, and he came back, and he said, did you see that? And I'm like... Yeah, but what does that mean? And he got on the bike and he rode down the block and he came back. He was like, did you see that? And I'm like, yeah, but so? You know, and he told me to get on. I'm like, oh, no. And I got on the bike. This bike had no training wheels. And I remember my brother, he's holding the back of the seat and he's holding one of the handlebars and he's walking down the street with me. He's like, you got it. Just keep pushing. Keep pedaling. Keep pushing. You got it. And then he would go to the back seat and he would just be holding the back seat. He's like, keep pushing. You got it. You're doing well. You, you got it. Keep pushing. Keep pedaling. Keep pedaling. And then he just let me go. And I'm like, well, how do I stop? <laughs> there, were, there were no handbrakes on these kind of bikes. All of a sudden, I spill over to the side. I fall on the sidewalk, you know. He runs and get me. He was like, you did well. I'm like, dude, did you see me? Did, did you see what just happened? And I'm like, you didn't even tell me how to brake. How do I stop this thing? So he puts me back on the bike. And he begins to walk down the sidewalk with me again. And over and over again, I remember my brother holding the bike holding the back seat, and he would just walk with me. And he'd teach me how to hit the brakes, how to push back to stop the bike. And he'd let me go, and he'd come catch me. He'd let me go. He was teaching me how to ride a bike. And if we are going to effectively make disciples, we have to teach some things. Paul says, entrust Timothy to faithful men who will teach others also. He's saying, entrust to faithful men and women who will be faithful to teach others also, who will teach others also, who will teach others also. What are we teaching? We're teaching about Jesus. We're teaching how to walk with Jesus. We're going to be teaching how to study the, the Word of God. How do I feed myself in the Word of God? Uh, How do I walk out sin? How do I resist temptation? Uh, How am I to flee from temptation? We ought to be teaching these things as we make disciples. And this is what Paul is challenging Timothy in. He's basically telling him, I did not teach you all these things for them to stop with you. I taught you so that you would pass it on and pass it on. And pass it on. And one day I hope to teach my kids how to ride a bike. One day I, I hope to hold the handlebars, and I hope to hold the seat, and I hope to walk down the sidewalk with with them, and I hope to let go and to grab hold again. I hope to teach them what it looks like. And dare I say this morning, if if you're a married couple or you're a single mom, your first responsibility is to be discipling your family. It's it's not the church's job to disciple your children, it's your job. And what Paul is saying to Timothy is, you need to take this responsibility seriously. To entrust all that I've poured into you, all that Time we've spent, all of that time we've spent walking together and living together and giving away to others. Paul is showing us what making disciples really looks like. Multiplication takes loving and teaching. But lastly, we need to understand that multiplication takes working. Look at verse 3. Paul says this, Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. See, the goal of a soldier is to please the one that enlisted him. Then look at verse 5. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Then in verse 6. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the the first share of the crops. Listen to those metaphors. A good soldier. An athlete. Hard-working farmer. Paul would, would have been around Roman soldiers all of the time. He would probably been around them every day. And a soldier would typically enlist in the Roman army for a period of 20 years, and most of them wouldn't even make it out alive, wouldn't even make it to retirement. And Paul understands the work that it would take to actually become a soldier. He understands the, the commitment that it would take. And this is what he's pointing us to. Paul mentions an athlete and what he's saying is anybody who competes has to work hard if they want to get a prize. Anybody who is a competitor has to run hard, has to race hard, has to go hard if they want to get a reward. Paul realizes that an athlete, for an athlete to become successful, it takes work. Paul mentions a hard-working farmer. And in antiquity, he would understand fully what it means to be a farmer. He would understand that it takes time to plant the seed. And he would understand that it would take time for the seed to be watered. And he would understand that it would take time weeding out those fields and tending to those fields. He knows that anybody who is a lazy person would not be successful as a farmer what Paul is saying is true discipleship takes work. Discipleship is not for the lazy person. It's hard and it's grueling and it interrupts your schedule and it interrupts your family time. It's hard work. And that's why Paul is saying he's using these metaphors as an athlete, a hardworking farmer. He knows that it's hard work. He knows that making disciples is not some easy task. He knows that pouring your life into somebody else is not an easy task. But what Paul is saying is is it's a worthwhile task. He's saying all that God has poured into me. I'm gonna pour into you and I know it's hard work, but I'm still challenging you, Timothy, my child, my son, one whom I love to go do it with others who will go do it with others also. He's saying it's hard. It takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of work. It's not for the lazy person, but you ought to go do it. Paul demonstrates for us through his relationship with Timothy that the reason discipleship is hard work is because it's life on life. Paul, in the normal flow of hardships, in the normal flow of life, is pouring into Timothy. Think about this. Here he is in a dungeon-like prison writing to his son in the faith. Paul thought it important enough, even from prison, to challenge him, his son and to encourage his son in the ministry and to, to challenge him. He, he thought it important enough for prison, from prison to, to do this. He says this is life on life. This is hard stuff. And you know how I, I know that this is life on life? Because Paul recognized. That Timothy was a fatherless child. Paul recognized that Timothy was raised by his mother and his grandmother. And what Paul decided to do was something that may be difficult. He decided to step in and Paul said, you know what, I'm going to be your father. And I'm going to challenge you in the faith. I'm going to raise you up in the faith. I'm going to do the hard work and I'm going to invite you into my life. That you may receive the gospel of Jesus Christ and that you may embrace it for yourself and that you may give it away to others over and over again. Paul knew Timothy's tendency to be timid. That's why he said in 2 Timothy chapter 1 that God gave us a spirit not of fear but of power and love and self-control. He knew him. He invited him in his world and the only reason Paul could give Timothy some tough truth like this is because he walked with him. This is not some young relationship Paul has spent time with Timothy. They they've done life on life. See, discipleship is not some quick microwaveable process. It takes time. It's hard. There will be failures. And Paul tells us that there will be failures. He tells us uh, in Second Timothy, the end of chapter 2, uh, in Second Timothy, the end of chapter 1, he says, Everybody in Asia has turned away from me. Paul recognizes that that there will be some successes, but there will also be failures. People won't show up on time. They won't show up at all. They won't get things done. Paul recognizes that people will turn away. And yet he encourages his son in the ministry to press forward in making disciples. To call people up in the faith. To reach out to them and allow your life to be invaded for the cause of Christ. That's hard stuff. When you've worked 40 or 50 hours or 60 hours in a week and somebody wants to come over and sit at your dinner table, that's hard stuff. When you're an introvert and the last thing you want to do is sit across the table with somebody, that's hard stuff and yet what God tells Paul to do is to challenge Timothy to get beyond all of the hard stuff and to make disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the methodology of the church moving forward. This is the methodology of the the mission of God and the message of God moving forward. I want to tell you this morning, if you are not engaged in the discipleship process, you are being disobedient to God. If you are not being poured into, or if you are not pouring into somebody else, one or the other, everybody needs to have a foot in the game, you're being disobedient to God. God says, make disciples. This is how my church will move forward. This is how the mission of God will move forward. And it is hard stuff. Discipleship is not just some book study. But discipleship is life on life. But the rewards outweigh the bad. The, the reward is living and reigning with Jesus. The reward is experiencing the faithfulness of Jesus. The reward is Jesus himself. That's what we get to give away to others. And as they draw near, they experience those rewards. Paul began by saying, get this, be strengthened by the grace that is in Jesus Christ. And he ends by saying, remember Jesus Christ. Paul begins and ends with the gospel of Jesus. And if you and I are to faithfully make disciples, we will begin and end with the gospel of Jesus. We will begin and end with the message that Jesus has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. We will begin and end with the reality that Jesus gave himself up and he shed his own blood that we might be made right with God again. We will begin and end with the fact that Jesus was buried and, and He rose again uh, to conquer sin, death, shame, and guilt. We will begin and end with the good news of Jesus that sustains us, that, that keeps us, that nudges us forward. We will begin and end with that kind of message and convince people of God will give that message away to others. We'll begin. And in, with that kind of message, I played football in high school, and you know, um, people would always say, you know, hey, you want to go running with me? And my response was always uh, no. You know, if I got in trouble in school, they would make you run. You know, if um, if we had a, a rough football practice, they would make you run. I've always associated running with negativity. So I just want to steer clear of it, you know. Um, it's crazy. We'd be working out uh, as, a, as a football team in high school, and our coaches would have us doing all kinds of workouts. They'd have us running hills, and they'd have us bear crawling on the field back and forth, back and forth, a 100 yards. And sometimes as as we were doing our thing, the coaches would be off to themselves, and they would just say, go, and we'll tell you when to stop. And then they'd just go laughing willy-nilly, having a good time amongst themselves, talking about going out to dinner and, the, the, you know, the weekend, and, and we're all bear crawling along looking like, are they going to tell us to stop? And then there were other times as we're moving along on the football field, the coaches would be there right with us. And they'd be challenging us. They'd say, don't be last. They'd say, anything worthwhile will not be easy. I remember my coach saying that over and over again. Anything worthwhile won't be easy. Anything worthwhile won't be easy. And I'm thinking to myself, bro, I'm the one down here bear crawling, you know, not you... But he said over and over again, anything worthwhile will not be easy. And that's the message here this morning. That discipleship is hard. It takes work. And anything worthwhile will not be easy. Your my life will be invaded. Discipleship will make us uncomfortable at times. And not only will we have to love. And not only will we have to teach. But we'll have to endure hard work. But it is for a purpose. It is for a reward. Because it's worthwhile to make disciples. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you, Father, that you've given us a methodology. Lord, you've given us a method. To continue your work and your mission in the church and in cities. And I pray God that we would say yes to making disciples of all nations. I pray that we would say yes to multiplying ourselves into others. I pray God that we would say yes. That our church would become this community of disciple making. Father, it wouldn't be weird... For somebody who's younger in the faith to go to somebody who's older in the faith and say, hey, can you spend some time with me? Can I, can I hang with you? Can I roll with you? That it wouldn't be weird, God, for somebody who's more mature in the faith to go to somebody who's younger in the faith and say, hey, can I pull you along? Can I, can I spend some time with you? Can, can you come hang with me and my family a bit? God, would you create that kind of culture here? And I pray, God, that that culture would be so infused in our DNA that that the Department of Children's Services would notice that we're a church who makes disciples. That streets would recognize it, that that ma'am would recognize it, not for our glory, but for your glory, God. We pray, Father, that you would help us to be disciple makers that we would do the hard things for your fame and for your glory now God we pray that you would bless these gifts, these offerings that we're about to receive pray that you would help us to be generous givers Lord I pray that for me and my wife that we would be sacrificial generous givers I pray that for our church that we would be sacrificial and generous givers Father, take these gifts and multiply them. We pray that they would be used for the growth of your kingdom in Memphis, Tennessee and beyond. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.